It's exciting. Um, look, you're going to need a Bible today. If, if You can actually, you, there'll be things on the screen too, but have a Bible. See if you can do it as your challenge for today, because our goal for today is unique. Um, today, what we're going to do, in order to celebrate what the Lord has been doing uh, amongst us over the last two, two and a bit years, is we're going to be taking a look at the big 20,000 foot overview of the whole book of Romans, and we're going to make our way through the whole thing in one go. So what has just taken us a little over two years, we are now going to attempt to do in about half an hour. Um, so thank you for praying, Mike. Um, we're going to do this by way of being reminded what the Lord has been saying to us and to, to call it to memory so that we can properly celebrate. Um, yes, it's worth mentioning that at the end of the time of me talking today, it will be your turn to do some talking. We really do want to hear from you during our service this morning how it is that the Lord has spoken to you through the book of Romans. And so as we make our way through, perhaps there is um, something that you may remember, some particular passage, some particular sermon where the Lord has spoken to you particularly. Um, and today is a chance for you to, to, to stand in, in, in amongst your church family and to give glory to God for what he has done uh, and to minister to us in that way. Um, there's a conversation that's often repeated in the Maloney household. Perhaps you can relate to this. Um, I will head out in the morning for a day of work. Uh, and all sorts of things will happen across the course of the day. No two days of work are the same. Uh, and yet every day when I get home, at some point in the afternoon, Elise will eventually ask me the usual question, how was your day? And I will answer, good. <laughs> Elise, determined to have relationship with her stubborn husband, will then follow up with a second question, usually. Well, what happened? And that's the difficult one to answer. Have you, have you experienced this? It doesn't seem to matter what has happened during the day when asked what happened today. I'm stumped. It's not that I don't want to share with her. It's that I literally can't think of anything that happened today. Do you ever get that experience? And I, look, um, that might be the result of me being part goldfish and simply being unable to remember what has happened in the last 24 hours. I'm sure there is some element of truth to that. But more so what I think it is, is that so much has happened that it all kind of blurs together and I don't know where or how to begin. Can you relate to that? And perhaps after two and a bit years, that is how the book of Romans feels to you. Uh, and so because, because that is a thing, because that is how the mind works, let's give the Lord one last chance today to take what he has been saying to us for so long and to just let the message of this wonderful part of his word drill deep into our hearts and be remembered. Sound like a good challenge? Ready? <laughs> Engage. I've always wanted to say that. The book of Romans began for us with a purpose statement. We know why this letter was written. We read about it in verses 15 to 17 of chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul wrote, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The whole point of the letter to the Romans is to let us know um, that Paul loves the gospel. And so he should, because this gospel, this good news, this message from God to the world is God's power for salvation to all kinds 
of people in this message is revealed to us the knowledge of how we can obtain righteousness through faith. This is the whole point of this letter. This this central message needs to be made clear. That's our destination. We need to know this gospel, this saving power from God. Okay, great. If that's the effect the gospel is going to have in us, well, what is it? I'm glad you asked. The good news in the book of Romans starts with bad news. There is a problem in this world which God has made. We read about this in the rest of Romans chapter 1. For example, in Romans 1.18, we read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Taking this theme further in verses 21 to 22, he says, For although they, the human race, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so, the good news that we need to know about Jesus is begun here with the bad news, the problem of sin. In this world that you and I are living in, we were made to know God, to know Him, to walk with Him, to stand face to face with Him. We were given that wonderful gift of the knowledge of God and intimacy with God at the very beginning of all creation. However, having received that from God, we did not honor God like we should. We lacked gratitude for what we had been given. Sadly, the human race has rebelled against our Creator, and we now have a fallen nature. It says here that our thinking is now futile. Our minds don't work right. Isn't that just the most terrifying thing that you could ever read? If my mind doesn't work right, how can I perceive the world rightly? We're told that our hearts were darkened, that evil is now an ever-present force within each and every one of us. And then lastly, we are told that this, this deception which has fallen on us is an arrogant deception. In divorcing ourselves from God, we thought we were becoming wise. We thought we were reaching out for enlightenment and for fulfillment It is a boastful folly which has seized the human race. But it is a folly. You and I are not smarter than God. We are not more moral than Him. And ditching Him and reaching out for something else as Lord and Savior is not going to lead us to enlightenment. It leads to darkness. And on account of this darkness which exists in you and in me, the wrath of God is coming. Now, unless the Jewish portion of the audience in the church in Rome was listening to this charge and thinking, I'm really glad he said that to all of those Greeks. They needed to hear it. It was about time someone said it. Paul makes clear that this is a problem for them too in chapter 2. This is 11 and 12. He says, For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And so we see that Jew and Gentile alike are both under the same dilemma of God's coming judgment. 
which leads us to what I think is the darkest passage in the entire Bible because of the bleak absence of hope that it presents to us. And then in the strangeness of God's wisdom, the darkest verse in the whole Bible sits alongside the brightest hope in the whole Bible. One sentence later. The darkness is summed up in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, which tells us this. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's the darkness. And then in verse 21, the light dawns. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This word justified, it's going to come up a lot. It means to be made right with God to have him declare you as righteous. Of course we won't be justified by works of the law. How could we be? For that plan to work, I'd have to keep the law. And I don't do that. And you don't do that. All have sinned and fall short. No one keeps the law perfectly. I don't and you don't. None of us lives up to God's perfection. The law has only got one effect in our lives. It gives me the knowledge of my sinful condition. The law of God shows me that I am flawed. It demonstrates very, very clearly that I am unrighteous. No human being will be reconciled to God by being good. Literally, no human being will be justified that way. And that's the darkness. That's the darkness. If the law was our hope for having God accept us, abandon all hope. We're done for. God's own law. God's precious law, God's moral law, God's holy law condemns us. But that is not the end of the story. That is just the beginning. The good news is that God himself has made another way. Justification by grace, as a gift, through faith in Jesus, for all who believe. I can't do perfection. I can have faith in Jesus to give me what I am not. This is the gospel of which Paul is unashamed. And this means you. You have sinned. You fall short of God's glory. You will not be justified by works of the law. 
No, the real solution has been revealed. God will reconcile with you on the basis of grace, of grace, which is received through faith in Jesus alone. This is the good news. This is the gospel of which Paul is unashamed. This is the message which is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Grace-based salvation instead of works-based salvation. The message of Jesus is not be good and then God will like you. The message of Jesus is meet God Place your trust in him through what Jesus has done. And even though you aren't good, he will accept you. Grace-based salvation. Grace. A gift. An undeserved kindness. The gospel is that God treats us better than we deserve. Grace which has been won for us by the crucified and resurrected Jesus alone. Faith in him as the only savior of the whole world. This message is the message which set the world on fire back then and has lost none of its potency today. Salvation is by grace and through faith. That claim raises a whole bunch of questions and implications, which we then began to explore in the coming chapters. Here's the first one. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to tell me that salvation is by grace and not by works of the law, doesn't that contradict what we know about God? Does God change between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is this plan two? The answer is no. Justification was always by faith, and we see that, for example, in how God dealt with Abraham in the book of Genesis, Romans 4, 3 to 5. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This was always true. This will always be true. Salvation has always been by grace and through faith. Then we turn to Romans 5, where Paul begins with what I describe as a shotgun of implications of grace a list of things that come true into our lives because salvation is by grace. He tells us this in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace starts to explode into our lives with powerful effect and transforming power. Chapter 5 finishes giving us the imagery that explains the spiritual realities behind grace and works. Telling us that we are either spiritually found in Adam or in Christ. 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, 
death reigned through that man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you're placing your faith in Jesus as Savior, you reign in life. Isn't that a significant promise? What else does grace do? Turns out that grace-based salvation sets us free from the power of sin in this life too. This cuts right against human logic, doesn't it? Surely the objection or the prediction which the human nature will make is that if God gives people salvation for free as a gift which they have not earned, surely they will use that as an excuse for more sin. You've got to to make people need to earn the salvation in order to motivate people to be good, don't you? No, the Bible says specifically and clearly that it is grace which sets us free from sin. Romans 6:14 For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Did you know that grace sets you free? I hope you do. Grace also gives us comfort when we find that sin continues to be at work within us. We read this in Romans 7. Verse 15 says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And I hate that I can relate to that. It comes to a very emotional conclusion in verses 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of debt? I know who. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And there is hope for us who wrestle with with sin still. And all of this has led us to the great promise sandwich of Romans chapter 8, and I've quoted most of it. We could have just read Romans chapter 8 today and called it a day. It would have been time well spent. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me hear it. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wearing this and getting you to do that, I feel a little bit like a televangelist. (laughs) The first promise is that because of grace, there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. And the second promise is that because of grace, there is no separation. Romans 8, 35 and onwards. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, well, uh, persecution might do. No. Famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of grace, there is no condemnation. You are not condemned. And because of grace, there is no separation. God will never be far from you. And his love will never be removed from you. Nothing has the power to do that. Because of grace. 
this chapter, Romans 8, is also a strong reminder that the entire entirety of the Christian life is a life lived by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God within us. It is supernatural. We read this, for example, in verses 8 to 10 of Romans 8. It says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The indwelling presence of God is the thing that makes the whole thing work. He is received by grace. Then we get to chapter 9. And we begin to answer some objections to the gospel. Here's another one. If God reconciling people with people by grace and not through law means that he is now including the Gentiles into his salvation plan, the nations, does that mean that God failed with Israel? Is the church plan too? The answer was no. No, this is all going according to plan. This is how it was always going to be. Romans 9, 6 says, It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Romans chapter 10 it hammers into us the message that if grace is received by faith, then you need to hear the gospel. <laughs> faith comes through hearing. Romans 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who will be saved? You will be saved. You will be saved. I've heard that somewhere. Well, how then will they call on him of whom they have not heard? Oh, no, sorry, how will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Right now, Jared and Verena are sitting in their seat. Let us at them. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In chapter 11, we brought all those threads together and the Apostle Paul insisted that none of us take grace for granted. This is 22 and 23. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Do you know that about God? He is both kind and severe. This, is, this explains so much of the confusion that is in the church today. Some of us like the severity of God. Some of us like the kindness of God. God is both. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Here's a quick shout out to all the prodigals among us. 
it is not too late for you to return to the Lord your God. He will still have you if you turn to him today by grace and through faith, you will be saved. Romans 12 through 14 then begins to take us to application. What does grace-based salvation, properly understood, cause us to do? What does it cause us to do? Well, here's a number of examples. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you understand what this means? Grace undoes the fall. Our minds, which were darkened, are now made new so that we can see what we were blind to before. Another application. For as in one body, verses 4 and 5, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Another application in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 13.8 Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 14 Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 14.4 Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Romans 15.1 We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Romans 15.7 Therefore welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. These are all things that grace does in us. It is by the mercies of God that we offer ourselves, and this has to be the progression. First mercy, then live like this, not the other way around. The power of the Holy Spirit living within you will Transform your life to look like this. And so, receive Him. And then get on with it. (laughs) As we begin to wrap things up, Paul then explained to us that this good news has sent him out from Israel and into the rest of the world. He says in Romans 15, 20, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And so the gospel will do. There are some of us whom it will send from places where Christ is well known to places where Christ is poorly known, because it is for all people. 
And then finally, there was one warning, that we be on guard against false teaching and false teachers who would change this gospel that has accomplished so much in us. Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And putting that so close to the beginning of Romans, don't we feel the urgency of preserving doctrine? If faith comes through hearing, we need to teach accurately what the gospel is so that people can place their faith in Jesus. We finish with glory. A prayer for the church, which I pray for you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What have we been learning for the last two and a half years? We have been learning that the whole of our faith is about grace. Grace and grace alone. Trusting Jesus to give us what we do not deserve. And He is willing. He is willing. Grace is the rock on which we stand. Grace is the banner under which we march. Grace is the anthem of our lives in Christ. It is by grace that the one great God is accomplishing all of His work in us. It is grace which saves us. It is grace which transforms us. It is grace which gives rest to the weary. It is grace that gives hope to the lost. It is grace which gives us the holiness that sets us free from the power of sin. It is grace which gives us reconciliation with the God who made us so that we can know Him and walk with Him. It is grace which gives our lives perfect uh, uh, purpose and meaning and direction. Do you know this grace? This undeserved gift of God's kindness? Are you walking in it and depending on it? Are you resting in it and finding your safety there? Come, says Jesus. Come and receive what you have not and I freely give. It's Romans in a nutshell. That took Martin Lloyd-Jones 13 years. How about you? As we walked our way through this message over the last several years, the Lord has been moving in our midst and doing things in our life. He's been keeping His promise. We have been experiencing the effects of grace. And so today, I ask you, Would you like to share with your brothers and sisters some part of this book of Romans where the Lord has met you 
and spoken to you as being important. We're going to do this for a bit, and then I'll pray to close. Mike is going to run around with a microphone, so you don't have to speak around. We got two. Hello. Yes. Um, so I've had a baby in the time that we've been doing Romans, so life has changed a lot and I've missed a lot of sermons. later. Um, but even this morning I've been reminded that like there's a quote, um, but for the grace of God go I. Mm. Uh, otherwise, like anyone who um, myself, anybody, um, could be doing anything and something I think is not good, but but for the grace of God, that could be me. So um, just reminded that we're all here by faith and mm. grace. It's a gift. And grace builds humility in us. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, I think uh, the Sermon on Romans 8, 1, uh, there is therefore no condemnation. Um, yeah, I think that really stoked me. Like, when wrestling with sin and stuff and I was sin, you'd feel separated from God and there would be like a shame, like I couldn't approach God. Mm-hmm. And in the sermon talking about, uh, yeah, the condemnation, like the feeling there is not condemnation, it's conviction and that, like there's no condemnation, so mm-hmm. that that feeling shouldn't stop me from approaching God, which was really helpful because then since then it's been, mm. when I have that feeling, like it, it urges me more to go to God because I'm like, this feeling is not true. Mm. One thing that um, uh, I've been challenged by Romans is um, the the idea that we are to welcome one another as, as Christ has welcomed um, us, um, and I, I, I found that to be quite convicting and quite challenging. And so it's been a it's um, one of the things I like that Mike said is that it's not welcome one another with a high five like Jesus welcomed you with a high five. Um, it's actually um, yeah Jesus Jesus died on the cross for us. Um, the way we're meant to interact with one another and to make each other feel and build each other up is meant to represent what Christ did for us. And so I found that challenging and something that I'm, I'm trying to grow in. So, yeah. There was a hand. I thought someone was stretching. Um, over the last few years, really, um, I found myself coming back to the doxology in chapter 11 a lot when everything feels confusing and I just don't understand why things happen the way they do. Um, so I'll just read that. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God 
that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We've got time for one or two more. Over this side of the room, it's like your last chance. Oh, does, oh yeah, you can hear me. Yeah, yeah. I think um, over the last two years, it's been amazing about just the good words that God has spoken over us as a church. And the good word that here I hear in Romans is that he knows us and he loves us and he will redeem us. And that all by grace means it's all by God. It's it, the, the Bible reveals God to us. Jesus is the face of God. The glory of God is in the face of Jesus. And um, yeah, it's just an amazing thing that he knows us. When I, when I came to know the gospel as a teenager, I, I read Romans and I thought, oh, this is God's decision. And I despaired. I was upset. I thought, oh man, will he save me? And, uh, you know, reading you know, sermons from like Charles Spurgeon and things is Jesus, the Bible reveals to us that it's God that loves you and cares for you and is trustworthy. And so that's, that's why we can hope in his glory. We hope in the revelation of Jesus when he comes back because the judge of the earth is good. And so that's, yeah, I've just been astonished by Romans, the, the good word that he speaks over us again and again. I think in the midst of Matt and Mike preaching Romans, I actually came to Christianity. I actually became a Christian. I came to Christ. And I think in all of that, the best thing I've learned is that through everything I do in faith, um, it is not by me, but by Christ on behalf of me. And I think that through that, I've actually learned like the ultimate peace and the ultimate rest through literally everything of times even in the best of times and I think that's the best one of the best things you can take away from Romans as a whole I think so yeah. it's a cracking place to finish why don't I pray and then we'll continue in worship Father, you are not like us. That's what makes it confusing. Uh, deserving is easy for us to understand. Earning, we've got that concept down pat. But selfless generosity doesn't come so easily to us. How could you, who is so high above us, be so willing to serve us, to make peace with us who have wronged you? And yet you are. 
the, the cross of Jesus. We've got Easter coming next weekend. <laughs> so, so well time for us to remember that the cross of Jesus is the most precious gift we could ever receive. Lord, would we, would we here, hearing this good news today, would we know what Jesus meant when he said, come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. Would you give us that rest? Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.